So though he can reveal himself, the Jack Teagarden died the other day. Yeah. And instead of Teagarden, you know, this marvelous trombonist and singer, who incidentally, uh, he's from the Southwest, uh, yes, Texas. He's a Texan. And says he learned so much from sitting outside of churches, Negro churches. I'm sure this is true with, by a process of osmosis, but in his case, he too. You know when he felt kind of bad or good, at the same time there was the artist's detachment. Sure, the artist's detachment, the artist's technique, the, uh, <clears throat> the artist's knowledge of tradition. And these things work, uh, I don't pretend to know all of the, the mysteries of them, I certainly don't. But uh, he is most effective himself when he is able to project into the, into the great forms. And, and this is, a, this is an, another thing which I think might be interesting uh, to, to, to mention at the moment, is that the, the, the one reason why the musicians who are closer to the tradition become bigger musicians and make a greater impact than a lot of the, the, the more recent jazz, where, where one man is trying to do something totally new as, as a gimmick or as a thing in itself. Innovation is, <laughs> That's right. When you have a, a, a great master of the tradition who is also a rich human being himself and who through his, the, the, his experience in his art, uh, when he speaks, he is speaking on the, he's standing on the shoulders of other men who were doing, who had done the same thing. So he, he you, you don't simply hear Jimmy rushing uh, 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 when you hear him, him sing uh, How Long, uh, going to Chicago. You hear Leroy Carr, you hear, you hear Mamie Smith, you hear Bessie, you hear Ma Rainey, you hear, you hear a lot of those old country blues singers who used to be blind men, uh, 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 tired uh, women uh, 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 walking along the streets with, with, with bundles of clothing on their heads. You hear a lot of people, you hear a lot of experience rendered by an individual who has passed it through his emotions and through his study and, and out it comes. So he has a chance to be more authentic than a guy who does not have the rich personality. Or if he does have a rich personality, an interesting personality, I'm speaking of the younger man who's trying to do the thing for itself, but he doesn't have enough to put into it. And you can only get that by living and by getting it the lives of other people as passed down through, the, through styles and through tradition. This is, this is very important uh, uh, for any young kid who is living in a, in, a, in a community and he sees people of various kinds and many types of values are being uh, pushed toward him and recommended. Uh, but the sound of authenticity, the sound of life, was always with, with, with Jimmy Rushing. Now, the other thing to be said about him, I, I, I did touch some of this in, in my book, I mean in my little piece on Jimmy, is that Jimmy was a lyrical tenor. He was a ballad singer as well as a, a, as a blues singer. Uh, there was not this easy uh, 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 marking off of tradition. America is a pluralistic society and its culture is usually pluralistic when it's richest, when it's most vital. And he was, uh, he was singing love ballads. Uh, pluralism of ballads and blues. That's yeah. right. All of this stuff was coming, and he, he was listening. He 
said he used to used to listen to the people playing the, the uh, records in the alley. He used to listen to them playing the pianos and guitars uh, 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 across the street from where his father had his business. He was absorbing all of this, but he was also, remember, at the same time, um, he was listening to the classics. Uh, uh, these were all around. It sometimes uh, uh, critics who don't think too much got the impression that American Negro life is absolutely segregated and that we aren't allowed to listen to anything except, <laughs> except jazz or maybe the blues or maybe the spirituals. Then but you wonder how Leontine Price came to be. Or that's Bummer, right, Bummer. that's right. Uh, uh, here they are. Uh, at Tuskegee, I was handling uh, Prokofiev manuscripts. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm sure there were very few Prokofiev manuscripts in, in, um, in the United States. But because Hazel Harrison, who used to be in Chicago years ago, uh, was studying uh, with Petrie, I mean, with, yes, with, with uh, Busoni in Germany, and got to, know pa uh, got to know Petrie and Prokofiev, and she had uh, their manuscripts. It was Ira Aldrich, the great Shakespearean actor. That's right. Uh, well, he came much earlier, much but another century. That's uh, right. Uh, but the fact is, is, is true that 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 this is, you know, uh, everything is feeding back. Everybody's living on everybody else uh, uh, culturally. But we think of the two main streams, if you will, of Negro Negro's original contribution to America, that has made our own country so. In fact, our only contribution, really original, is would be jazz, and as two. Uh, roots, blues, and the spirituals. He spoke of uh, Jimmy, and this was true, isn't it? In many homes, I suppose, the uh, Bill remembers that his guitar was not a his sister would not let him bring the guitar in the house. Uh, this, there was a split, was there not? Well, there was a split. You had you had people who were quite devout, and uh, this had uh, had become a a um, well uh, in reacting to the. The, uh, the stereotyped idea of, of Negro morality and so on, that uh, we were uh, not quite human and that, that uh, we were hedonistic and given toward uh, uh, physical excess and so on. Uh, a lot of uh, people, Negroes, denying this, uh, became quite defensive about it. Uh, that's one thing, but on the other hand, they they uh, were afraid of what was released in jazz and in the blues. And it wasn't simply that it was associated, uh, uh, and maybe it was only associated uh, with with uh, prostitution and so on in New Orleans. Uh, it wasn't simply that, but that this opened up. Uh, 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 possibilities of life which were, were chaotic in themselves because there was no particular promise guaranteed to, 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 the, uh, to the blues people, uh, uh, to the blues singers and the people who loved jazz and who, who lived a non-religious life. They just took life as it was. But the others had this guarantee of heaven. And to, 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 to uh, 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 to listen to this music, or to go into the, to to the, uh, um, I, I should use a Greek term here, but I won't. I, not that I speak <laughs> Dionysian, uh, 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 physical exaltation 
of jazz uh, was rather frightening. And it was not only frightening to Negroes, it was frightening to most white folks. <laughs> and yet in church, you know, at the end of a hard, terrible week of working for whoever, maybe Mr. Charlie, the phrases, yeah. or Miss Ann, or working for the man downtown, a week in which you say nothing and you're pretty well exploited. There's Sunday, and aside from the Saturday night for those interested in the blues and the secular life, on Sunday morning, isn't there a tremendous release in holiness churches? Yes, uh, there was a tremendous release, um, a, uh, a feeling of, of communication as well as communion, uh, which is very, very important. It's, it, and it's an important part of any life. And when, when we do not have that, that's where you get a lostness which money doesn't cure. And this is one of the things that America suffers from. Uh, uh, and one of the things which makes me worry uh, uh, when I see it being lost from Negro life. Uh, vitality. The, the, the vitality, uh, uh, not so much the vitality, but the communion, the, the, but, uh, uh, the coming together uh, for purposes which takes the members of the group out of themselves and make them part of a larger unit, a larger, uh, a, a larger uh, unit of experience. This is very important. This is what great uh, uh, drama tries to do. This is what great dance tries to do. And this is one of the great motives for, uh, uh, for a ritual. And, and we have had that. But uh, I would look, uh, uh, on the other hand, at, at this, that um, sometimes the same people, at least during, in Oklahoma, during Jimmy's days out there and my, all of my day out there, the, some of the same people who went to the dances on Saturday night and had that tremendous release of dancing, of, of, of listening to music, of, uh, uh, of uh, drinking the liquor or smelling it and smelling the perfume, the perspiration, all of this atmosphere of vitality and togetherness and, and, and move, transcendence in a way uh, uh, would go to church the next morning, you see. You know, there's something uh, in, in line with what you're just saying, something you said, in danger of being lost, you say, even among the Negroes. You, you now are referring to the fact that as middle class values are coming into play. I don't think uh, it's middle class. I, I think it's improper. Uh, you know, it, it's very imprecise to talk of the Negro middle class. There's no such thing. Uh, but, you but say there's no such thing? I don't think so. I, I, uh, uh, unless we define it very, very uh, strictly. That is, a Negro who has uh, who, who has, uh, uh, who might be called middle class, would not be regarded as middle class if he were white, you see. Uh, also, you mean of the, of the economic deprivation? Not only the economic uh, deprivation, but the attitude toward life, the, the sense of command, the, the, the inheritance of values. There are a lot of, of, of factors operating in, in, in what we mean uh, when we say uh, a middle class, and it's usually used as a negative term. Yeah. Uh, when uh, we know that there would be very little art in this country, uh, in the world, if, if, if not for the support of the middle class. And I think I don't like to use that uh, because it's bad enough when it's used to about whites uh, uh, in, in certain references, and it certainly has very little uh, meaning well, don't to you feel, I don't, don't you feel that these, that for, the, for lack of another word at the moment, calling it middle class values are... Uh, factors in our world today? Yes, I think that there are. some aspects of Yes, and uh, uh, this loss, uh, well, this, this, this uh, uh, feeling that, that uh, um, 
what someone else has is always, is necessarily better than what you have. That is, uh, it's going to cost something to end segregation. And it's, I don't mean just uh, struggling in the streets or in the courts or even enduring violence. I don't even mean bombings. This, the, and, and these things are horrible. Uh, um, I mean a loss of a sense of being in the world, of knowing where you are in the world. Because many, many uh, uh, Negroes have not bothered to find out what the larger society is like in its values and in its basic motives. We know something about what it's done to us, but we don't always see what it's doing to those who are not right. Negro. No, I, I, I got to make something clear. This is a very delicate and sensitive point you're touching, this whole matter of this world outside. We know, I know this, uh, we know that, for example, say among actors, there's been a discrimination against Negro actors, and there is to a large extent, very much so today. Mm. We know that event, hope someday, even now you see a model now and then, a Negro model yeah. involving a television cigarette commercial. Now the question someone will ask is, why? The commercial is lousy as is, and I will make my position clear. He is as much right. Let him get one step. You know, yeah. he has much a right to 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 make a living for the wrong things as the white man does. Won't there be a change of our own values with what is described as the Negro Revolution? Won't the values of our country society? Won't they, of, necess of necessity, change themselves innately? They will certainly change uh, uh, as we become more honest through confronting uh, uh, what, that is confronting some of the wrongs as they, af uh, as they affect Negroes. Uh, and as we confront, uh, I'm sounding like a white man, but you know, as non-Negroes uh, uh, confront their own involvement with, the, with this particular injustice. But there is no guarantee that the, the, the larger American values, which, ne which Negroes share with, with, with all other Americans, are going to be improved unless we insist that they be improved. And what, what I'm asking for, I mean, what I would like to see, uh, as, as uh, I'd like to see my own people, uh, while remembering uh, uh, the struggles and the injustice will realize that part of the degeneration of values in the United States comes precisely through this debasement. And so it, 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 it has a, a uh, uh, reflective action upon all American values. Uh, uh, our inability to, to, uh, to deal forthrightly with, with, with uh, uh, serious problems, uh, our need to tell ourselves lies about what we really are and, what, and how we really act. All of this uh, goes far beyond us. Now, Negroes can, can participate in, in, um, in the debasement of values uh, just as any other group of, of Americans can. But I think that, that uh, for people who have suffered as much as, as my group has suffered, um, that when a group has suffered as much as this group has suffered, they take on an obligation, not only toward them but toward the inside society. This is one of those, those, those strange twists. Uh, uh, 
we cannot debase what we have endured and what our parents and grandparents endured by accepting things as they are, by, by accepting that which is shoddy in the culture. We really should insist upon it improving. Uh, not that we are better, but we know the cost of corrupt values. We know because we have suffered it. We have lived it. We have paid a price, and I think that this is, is a sacrificial price, which was paid by Negroes against their wills for the debasement of, of, of uh, values within the United States. You know the cost of corrupt values. This, the Negro knows the cost of corrupt values, because indeed he, he has seen it. He has been, lived it. Lived it. And uh, this point earlier about our values, other values, basic might change because of what is happening now. Let's see if I could put this another way. Mm. The deceitfulness practiced by a majority group, the deceitfulness, the double standard used, yeah. if that eventually is eliminated with uh, total civil rights, you know, and at least he will have the, the Negro have the same right as the white man does, the same right as the white yeah. man does in the society. The fact this deceitfulness is gone, wouldn't that, by some crazy process, open doors to other kinds of deceitfulness? OTV, whatever it is, will go too. I mean, well, one one hopes, but I know that there, that this isn't necessary because I've seen Negroes operating. I see some of them operating today when when they're right in the middle of it. And uh, why not? They they are Americans. These are the accepted values. These are the goals. So you make it while you can. I come to another. It's connected. I think of the Negro church. The church has always been so much part of Negro life, more than just a a, a way. A, 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 you know, a center, an organ for religious worship, but more than that, the church, the social center and all. Well, the church uh, was the, the uh, largest institution which we had and, and the most vital. During slavery, it was about the only one we, uh, which could be recognized. And as you say, it combined uh, many uh, functions which were not properly those of, uh, of, of the white church of the time, or white churches of the time. Um, and still today, um, uh, if you look for the best Negro drama, uh, the best Negro dramatist, you'll find that they're Negro preachers. <laughs> it, it, it takes place on, on Sunday, and it, it's a drama which is tied up uh, with man's deepest uh, fears and his hopes and, and so on. There's no accident that Martin Luther King is a preacher and his father no. was a preacher. No, it, there, there's no accident, and there's no accident that that uh, for all of the, the, um, the, the corrupt uh, Negro preachers who um, sold their congregations down the river under the pressure of the, of the South, um, the, the, the uh, Negro preacher in the South, as in the North, has nevertheless always been connected with the realities of social life. They can tell you much more. A Negro preacher who, who is really doing his job, who through his consulting with people during their, their illnesses and death and birth and uh, economic difficulties, he knows much more, much, much more about how Negroes really live than any Negro novelist <laughs> that you will ever meet. Well, uh, Ralph, you are a creative man, a novelist, a writer. You deal with poetry, the word, the Negro preacher, the sermon. I guess there's no figure on a platform who has really his, his poetry, his eloquence, cadence, uh, call and response. So he's, 
how? I mean, I suppose, again, an anthropologist ask of this, but how did this come to be, this particular use of imagery? Well, it's, it's uh, folk poetry, and uh, part of it goes back to, to, uh, to the inheritance of the language. Uh, this is Shakespearean. This is, this is uh, um, 19th century uh, oratory. All of this moved right into the Negro church. Um, remember, uh, before Mark Twain, uh, um, Americans were, for the most part, except on the eastern seaboard, they were, uh, uh, the, the language which they responded to most and uh, uh, was an oral literature. So the Negro got part of that from, from, uh, <laughs> from, from, the, um, um, from the general culture. Um, I won't argue with the, the uh, anthropologists uh, who say that uh, the call and response pattern comes out of Africa. Perhaps so, but it didn't have to come out of Africa. No, no, I'm trying to say something else. You spoke of oral literature, and this is not meant to denigrate the white preacher, but the fact is, I mean, there are some rare exceptions among white evangelists, of course, who are quite marvelous in their own way for reasons they're all quite yeah. marvelous as actors and performers and yet the white preacher you know as such is no match for the negro preacher i mean they both work from a pulpit yes and yet uh, the drama is so much in one case and not in the other i see what you mean well that's part of a tradition where uh, uh, people did not uh, uh, have um, uh, Shows they didn't have theater. They, they a lot of a lot of a lot of things were were lacking uh, within the Negro community, and uh, uh, on the other hand, you had um, among an, uh, basically illiterate people a strong uh, uh, liking for drama, for action, and 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 for for language. Negroes have have always in this country been great uh, manipulators of language. This is <laughs> this is one of the the uh, things like that I like the Irish in a way. Yes, like the Irish. You know, Lafcadio Hearn uh, reported in the 1870s that um, when he was in Cincinnati, that he was invited uh, by uh, a couple of Irish policemen to come and hear the best uh, um, singing of Irish songs and Irish dialect that you could find. <laughs> in Ohio, and they went into um, a Negro joint, oh, and <laughs> this is in, uh, uh, collected in his miscellaneous <laughs> papers. Funny. I just said like the Irish, and there <laughs> it was, right. it's true. He said, said that they went in there, and there these, they, they, they were some Negro dock workers who, <laughs> well, of course, we were mimics. And the other thing about, uh, uh, about this is a question of social snobbery. Uh, when you're down at the bottom, you don't have it. So you don't erect defenses against taking from anybody, anything that you like, any sound that you heard, any phrase, uh, 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 phrasing of language you liked. How do you took it? Uh, this is good. This is, th this, this is a, the, the, the great freedom, the great creative freedom that folk uh, uh, artists always have. So uh, some of this was going on in the church, you, uh, uh, and this, this part of this comes out of the out of the Hebrew Bible. It comes out of the, the Old Testament, and these stories are dramatic in themselves and take the uh, taking the uh, strong identification which the, uh, uh, my enslaved people were making with a, a, a people that had once been enslaved. This also enriched language. This was empathetic. 
this was what was uh, it demanded imagination. So you had this richness, and you had the other thing. You had the the the, the uh, uh, singing as an integral part of the ceremony, uh, uh, and it was a group thing where everyone took part. Uh, uh, usually spurred on by someone who was who, who was expert at singing, who 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 was uh, uh, a, a specialist, so to speak. Um, to use the anthropological terms, I guess uh, you'd have um, a person like Mihaly, who was a kind of priestess, who was uh, the phrase you used. I remember the the high priestess of the church. I remember that. She was a priestess uh, in the Negro Church, and is just as Bessie Smith was a priestess when she got among when she sang the blues among a lot of uh, those people who really knew them and felt them. And so she stood there and evoked these emotions, evoked these images, evoked this sense of life. And this th this is a very very important thing. And uh, of course, this th this woman, she just uh, knocks me out. Um, she knocks me out as uh, Madame Schumann Heink used to knock <laughs> me out when I was a little kid. Uh, this, this something which sounds through the voice. This, this something which goes beyond the mere technique and, and elegance of phrasing, although she has all of these things. I want to ask about you. How did you become, where did your, uh, whatever it was, that urge come from to write, say, to, to be the writer? Well, uh, I always loved to read, and my father was a great reader, although he died uh, uh, when I was three. The books, books were around. A, a young kid watching a man <laughs> spending a lot of time poring over uh, books and newspapers and magazines. This, uh, this must have had some impression, but I, uh, as a young kid, uh, dreamed a lot, uh, loved to be told stories, loved to read, uh, uh, and found a way of, of extending my environment. I wouldn't have known how to have said that, uh, but uh, I did through reading. And um, my mother was always bringing home books and magazines as she brought home uh, classical phonograph recordings from places where she worked. Uh, this was just a kid responding to something and having a feeling for, for words, but I never thought of writing anything. Um, I used to, um, well, I remember when I was about 14, I, I bumped into Bernard Shaw's prefaces, and I rather admired what this man could do uh, uh, with words. It just seemed beautiful, the, the handling of ideas, uh, uh, and ideas which were somewhat unusual to me. This must have started building an admiration for writers, which I didn't recognize. Um, but uh, by the time I came to New York, intending to go back to Tuskegee and uh, conclude my studies there and music, I uh, was asked by Richard Wright, who had just come from Chicago to New York, to uh, review a book for him. I had gotten into his, uh, his, uh, uh, onto him by reading T.S. Eliot uh, at Tuskegee. I blundered into the wasteland. I couldn't understand it, so I started reading books which would <laughs> explain it to me, and this led to other poetry and other fiction and so on. Other, I was not, uh, 
an English major. And then I started looking for certain modern techniques, certain mo expressions of modern sensibility uh, in the work of Negro writers. And I found this in, in a poem by Richard Wright, and I asked who he was, and someone said, well, uh, he's coming here. So I met Wright, and uh, at his suggestion, wrote my first book review and my first short story. And then uh, I left New York and uh, went out to Dayton, where I had nothing to do. My mother died out there, and uh, there was no work. So I used to spend my time reading and trying to write. <laughs> well, that's how it happened. That's, that's how it happened. Yeah. It's you know, in, in your essay on, on the novel, you said something here about the novel is the most rational way, or I, might, I hope I'm not misquoting you here, the most rational way of explaining our irrational life. Well, if I said that, <laughs> I must have been riffing over my head. <laughs> but I, 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 I think it, that does say something, uh, something what it's like. Uh, it, it is a, a most rational way for, for, uh, for dealing with, with the irrationalities of existence. And indeed, it's through. It, uh, it is one way, one form of, of, of uh, defining the actual values of the human experience. As you're saying this, we've uh, gone. It's uh, oh, in the evening, a Friday night. We look outside. It's somewhere in Evanston, and uh, I, I've been holding you for quite a while, Ralph Ellison. I think of the Invisible Man, your uh, uh, National Book Award-winning novel, your short stories, your comments, your reviews of jazz artists, blues artists, spiritual singers. Uh, any projects? Uh, with you right now that you care to talk about or idea? Well, uh, no, there's this long novel which will be completed and I hope published sometimes this year. There is a book of essays which will include some of the jazz uh, essays which will come out this year. Um, I Last week I... Was that a Viking? No. No, Random House. Random House. Uh, last week, I did uh, uh, a lecture at the Library of Congress, which I can't talk about. You're restricted on that for a few months, but <laughs> but it will be published by the uh, library and uh, made available. Oh, and uh, that's about it. I have a novel. Is it premature to just mention the theme of the novel, or, or want to let that? Well, go? just just the just this. It has to do with with. Uh, the question of memory and uh, the willed forgetting, for forgetfulness, which seems to be so typical of uh, Americans, and it's an attempt to arrive at what is really human and valuable uh, in our lives beyond questions of, of uh, race and class. Um, it has to do with Negroes and whites and some who are neither. <laughs> and um, if I can make, uh, uh, make it work as a novel, then it will have some interesting sections. Some of them have been published. Uh, uh, one long section, uh, Hickman Arrives, was published in The Noble Savage, which uh, saw Bellow and... Uh, Keith Botsford and Jack Ludwig uh, 
established some years ago. And another part appeared last spring in the Partisan Review. There are any number of sections which are ready for publication, but I don't want to reveal them <laughs> because it will destroy one, the one day surprise. The novel itself will be coming out. We'll be looking forward to that and to perhaps hearing, reading more of Ralph Ellison, novelist. Thank you very much.